Opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Good morning and welcome to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Each Saturday morning at 7.30, successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the low country talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life now your hosts of beyond the business eric cox and leslie haywood and great saturday morning low country welcome to another edition of beyond the business heard exclusively here on 94.3 wsc every saturday morning from 7 38 we thank you to our loyal listener for getting up and tune in the dial to listen great stories of entrepreneurship and leadership here in the low country i'm one of your hosts as usual eric cox Back finally. I know. And this is Leslie Haywood. Thank you so much, Low Country. I missed you, Leslie. I know. And I hear that you had an amazing guest last week. As usual, I I hate it when I miss because all of these nuggets of information and these, this knowledge that our guests impart on us, uh, I feel, I feel dumber just being here. Well, we are glad you are back. Hopefully you had a great trip. I did. And, awesome. Uh, I'll give you a few little takeaways from last week. We had Mr. Brent Case on, who was the president of Caldwell Banker Commercial Atlantic here in Charleston. And uh, Brent, again, just did a great job of eloquently talking about uh, not only um, his time with Caldwell Banker, but also just sort of his time in Charleston. He's very involved in a lot of different facets of the community. And uh, if you want to listen to that show, maybe you missed it. I know. Where do I go? You can go to our website at CoastalWM.com, click on the radio icon tab, and listen to not only Brent's podcast, but, hey, all the podcasts we have for the last four years, believe it or not. Uh, and so um, Brent shared a couple of nuggets of wisdom. I would take away uh, one that I think was a great point of his story when his dad, back in, I believe it was 2007, uh, unfortunately, uh, became sick with colon cancer, and there was about a two-year window that they went through uh, with his dad's health failing. And he just talked about how the folks over at that organization rallied around them as a as a family and came together and helped pull them through it all the way through until his death. And just uh, what a touching moment in talking about, uh, again, a culture of an organization and how important it is. Uh, in life. And so. I do think that's been a theme in a lot of our podcasts and radio shows and stuff is the mix of business and pleasure. It's really hard to separate your work from your personal life. Well, I think a theme we've taken away as well is you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. That's and right. So that's why I have you sitting next to me every oh Saturday morning, Leslie Haywood. <laughs> How about that one? I'm on, I'm on it today. <laughs> yeah. And uh, speaking of, of Brent Case, uh, also I want to put out there coming up this Thursday, March 22nd is the fourth annual North Charleston Business Expo. Uh, and Brent and his company are the title sponsors and a big part of putting that together. So it's free admission, free parking, uh, endless opportunities to network, get out there to the North Charleston, um, I believe it's at the um, uh, North Charleston Performing Arts Center. Again, that is this Thursday from 1 to 5. Cool. So with that in mind, yeah. what a great Saturday this is, by the way. I know. Uh, here we are in a beautiful I love this time. It's my favorite time of the year. Saturday morning uh, in March, and for so many reasons. One, it's St. Patty's Day. Yep, and there's like a golf tournament happening this weekend, right? It's not golf, but you're close. It is a round ball. ball. It's basketball. Basketball. It's my favorite weekend of the entire year in Charleston. (laughs) So I'm having fun. I'm excited. And I know our guest today is having fun and excited because she uh, is a basketball fan. She 
is a St. Patty's fan. <laughs> and so, Diane, we appreciate you coming in this morning. Again, that's Miss Diane Gullius, who is the former president of one of the largest divisions of DuPont. She's also a full-time board director, as we'll call it, and on the board of the LPGA. Thank you for being here this morning, and we are really looking forward to hearing your story today. Eric, it is a pleasure to be with you and Leslie this morning, and a happy St. Patrick's Day to you and to all my fellow Notre Dame grads. It's a very special day for us Notre Dame people, and so to all the domers in the low country, Mm. I want to wish you a very happy St. Patrick's Day and go out and drink a green beer for me. Awesome. And and to commemorate, here we are at 7.30 Saturday morning, all green beer sitting in front of us. no (laughs) beer. Yes. Yes. My coffee's green. That's right. Something is wrong with that. (laughs) So let's dive in. Yes, yes, yes. Let's dive in. So, um, first of all, before we go way back, which is where we usually like to go, Diane, can you just give us a quick synopsis of your um, uh, what you did as president of DuPont, just uh, and sure. what they do? What- yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, of course, DuPont is a global chemical company, recently joined with Dow to make it even bigger and more global. Um, I was there for 36 years, and my very last job, I was the president of performance polymers, which to normal people is plastic. Um, it was a huge, very good. huge business, $4 billion worldwide. I had 5,000 employees all around the world. Um, spent much of my time in China, Korea, India, Japan, Brazil, Mexico, and of course, here in the good old USA, too. In fact, we make some of those plastics up here in Monk's Corner. Wow. So again, nice. little connection to our local low country uh, place, too. Great. It was a fabulous job. Loved it. Um, but did it my last seven years, and I was ready to retire and move on to other things, which I think we'll talk about probably not today, but maybe next week. Maybe next well, week. We are yeah. glad you're here to share your wisdom and your experience. So thank you so much for the time. And before, as Leslie said, we we dive into all that amazing stuff. Let's talk about how it began. Yeah. Uh, go back to growing up, where you grew up, and what life was like as a child. Sure. Um, you know, in a nutshell, I would describe my childhood as a little bit of the great American dream. You know, I grew up lower middle class, south side of Chicago. Both of my parents were children of immigrants. My father was one of 11 Lithuania from Lithuania. My mother was one of two emigrate. Her parents emigrated from Scotland. So both my parents were first generation, which made me second generation. And Chicago was a huge melting pot of immigrants and frankly still is still today. Is, yeah. yeah. Um, and so from that, you know, kind of humble upbringing, um, I was the oldest of four girls And uh, my mother and my mother's mother lived with us. So my father was surrounded by uh, talented, noisy, fun-loving women. Um, I'm sure we made him crazy at times. But um, I was the oldest and uh, first in my family to go to college, um, which was a really big deal. Um, And and so I said, it it is a little bit of the great American dream. I'm a baby boomer. You know, I was born in 56. Oops, probably shouldn't have told you how old I am. (laughs) But... um, but, uh, you know, and and again, you know, it was interesting because um, from that, I, I had the opportunity um, to get a full scholarship to the University of Notre Dame to study chemical engineering. And it kind of took off from there. Right. So going with with that information, a full scholarship. So I am assuming you were your typical firstborn, um, even through elementary <laughs> school. And I mean, did you always know what you wanted to do? And were you always that studious? Yeah, that's that's a good question, Leslie. Um I was a typical oldest in that, you know, trying to please the parents, study hard, do good, take care of the little ones. Um, I was valedictorian of my high school class. Um, 
I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I loved math and sciences, and frankly, I got encouragement from my parents, which not a lot of girls get even today, you know, to pursue the sciences or math. And I'm a huge proponent of helping young girls understand the power of STEM, which I think is really, really important. And um, I got, I had a few teachers, like my sixth grade science teacher, who awakened in me, you know, a, a curiosity about um, math and science and that whole um, engineering world. And um, in the summers when I was in high school, I went to an engineering camp at University of Illinois. I think they have them all over the country. And started to say, hmm, wasn't sure what engineers did, um, but having grown up lower middle class, um, I knew I really wanted a job. You know, well, of course, and my parents stressed that uh, a lot, which was, you know, you need to be able to get out of school and get a job. And again, I think something kids struggle with even today, you know, is how do I make sure that the education I'm getting is making me ready to be part of the workforce, right? And so for me, um, working was real important. And I think through college, then I started to discover what engineers did, and I kind of honed in on chemical engineering as being like the one for me. I knew I didn't want to build buildings. I didn't want to be a civil, and I knew I wasn't crazy about electrical, and so I kind of honed in on chemical engineering as being uh, something that would really help me you know, grow and develop and use my natural talents. And, and uh, going back to your scholarship at Notre Dame, this was at a time, again, where uh, it's not like it is today. You, you were a pioneer in going to Notre Dame. So uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that experience. Very true, Eric. I was in the second class of freshman women to go to Notre Dame. Okay, so wow. I know. So when I got there, there were 5,000 men and 500 women. And the 5,000 men weren't too crazy about us being there e- either. I mean, it was still a, a period of transition. They were still what getting. What year was this so I can get uh, a 1974. Uh huh. And so um, they were still getting used to the idea of having women in class and on campus. Um, I said, though, it really prepared me for the world of work. Because when I got out four years later, what I discovered in the work world was. You know, there'd be many meetings where I would go to with 10 or 12 people or 20 people, and I'd be the only woman in the room. And so I developed really great skills because all my labs and things I did in college, I had to be on teams of three or four men. I learned how to work with men as colleagues and how to develop really good skills because obviously growing up in that all-women household, I really didn't have those skills when I I got to Notre Dame. So it was a really great experience. Right. So you were used to the ratio. (laughs) You got used to it early. And so um, after Notre Dame, what did you think you wanted to do, you know, once you got your degree? What did you want to do when you grow up? Yeah. And that's a really good question because... um, I wasn't really self-aware, and I, and I want to talk a little bit about self-awareness because yes. I think it's a really important leadership quality. And um, you know, when I got out, I I knew I didn't want to work in a factory. You know, I I wanted to get out of the Midwest. I wanted to come east, um, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I, I went to Dupont, um, really because I liked the location. It was in Delaware. They were very flexible, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And and in fact, you know, back when I was on campus, I interviewed lots of different companies. I interviewed Exxon. In fact, I had, that was my highest job offer. And I didn't think the oil industry was quite right for me. Um, I interviewed Procter & Gamble. I had a great offer from them, but didn't think I wanted to work on potato chips. You know, I had an offer from DuPont. Um, I had an offer from Air Products. I had an offer from several different companies. Um, but the Monsanto interview stuck with me because... Um, the Monsanto recruiter said, Diane, you're 
incredibly technically well-trained. You're top of your class. You have a personality. You're very vivacious and you get along with people. You are a natural for technical sales. And I looked at the recruiter and said, I just spent four years of my life getting a chemical engineering degree and I'm going to be the best damn engineer that's ever been seen. And so I kind of blew him off, went to DuPont, worked in the laboratory for a couple of years, got a chance after a few years to go out and see some customers. And all of a sudden, a light bulb went on. I like, I like this. As much as the lab was interesting to me, I loved taking the technical parts of the lab and connecting it to people. Having people be the center of my focus and technical was the way I helped solve their problems. So the, the moral of the story was, you know, it took me three years at DuPont to wake up that I should have taken that offer from Monsanto. Right. So they're, pretty, they're pretty good at their job. But yes. I, I didn't really spend enough time thinking about both what I was good at, what was my gift, what, 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 where could I make a good contribution, and being really real with myself. And I think a lot of times at 21, we're not very real with ourselves. Heck, some of us aren't even real with ourselves at 51, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, having that time to reflect on what you're good at. And that was something I learned from that experience. And by the way, in case you just jumped in your car or turned on the radio, the voice you're hearing this morning is that of Miss Diane Gullius, who is the former president of, again, one of the largest divisions of DuPont there for 36 years, as well as the consummate full-time board professional that we're going to talk about probably more next week. And so, Diane, as we go through the, the progression of, of your professional world, again, 36 years, what a, an amazing stint that is. You went through many layers mm-hmm. Uh, from entry level, and then you get into management and upper management. And so sort of walk us through some of those stepping stones in your career. Yeah, sure. So as I said, started in lab, got into customer technical support, loved it. But then from there, I wanted to get even closer to our customers. So I went into sales, direct sales, loved it. Um, My territory was Illinois, Indiana, Wisconsin, Michigan. um, And I had a company car, And these were in the days where there were no cell phones yet. So I had a bag of quarters so I could find a payphone on the road and call my customers. (laughs) I still revel when I think back on how wonderful today is versus uh, how challenging it was back then. Again, covering multi-states like that. Um, Loved it. Um, Really loved sales. Again, I really encourage young people to, if, if they're thinking about a place to start, is starting in a sales role. You really understand customers. Did that for five years. Um, because I was in Chicago and the hierarchy was in Delaware, I kind of got lost. DuPont forgot about me. I had five bosses in five years. They forgot to check in. And finally, my fifth boss was this delightful man, Bob Silber, who, you know, like a month after he met me, said, kid, you have potential and we got to get you back to headquarters and we got to get you in the system because, and, and of course, I'm thinking I'm having the best time of my life. I'm going to Cubs <laughs> games and I'm entertaining clients. And he's like, no, no, don't, don't stop. Too don't, much talent Don't for stop. That, huh? Don't stop there. And, you know, it's kind of back to what you said earlier. I never started with the idea that I was going to run a $4 billion company. I always tried to think maybe two or three years out and just grab for as much as I could do. And when I was successful, I would grab a little bit more. And I, and I do think that's a great way of thinking about it. Cause a lot of times when I mentor young people, you know, I, I love the ones that say, Oh yeah, I knew from the time I was 14, I wanted to run a consumer products, a major consumer products company. And I'd be like, really? At 14, I was trying to figure out if I could get a date to <laughs> right. you know, homecoming. Right, no. right. <laughs> um, but I, 
I think it's a good thing to have like a five-year plan for your career and to be thinking about it. So this mentor pulled me to headquarters and got me major promotion to run the design engineering group. And from that, I ran an IT group. And from there, I got picked to go to Geneva, Switzerland. And you know, each time I was kind of trying to figure out what that next five-year plan looked like and how I could exceed it, you know. And I know that you did and uh, you did so much traveling and you have a lot of international experience. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that helped you as a person, as a leader in yeah. your career yeah. going other places? I mean, th- that's got to be a tremendous opportunity. It, you know, it was something I was always curious about international business. And so when the time came, I raised my hand for an assignment in Switzerland knowing full well that my husband was going to go with me and not be able to work because the Swiss are really crazy about protecting their economy. Um, And I lived and worked in Switzerland and Belgium for five years. I worked um, as a product manager in Switzerland. And in Belgium, I ran a factory with 350 Belgians where we made engineering plastic. And those two assignments back to back kind of changed my career trajectory because Living and working in different cultures gave me so much more knowledge and um, insight that when I came back to the U.S., I was in a whole different category of people in terms of my career um, trajectory. In fact, um, a bunch of women I met at a conference once wrote a book called Getting Ahead by Going Abroad, A Woman's Guide to Career Success. Um, The woman was Stacey Burdan. It's one of my favorite books, but of course... I'm one of the eight <laughs> women featured in it and my, my career journey and what I learned by living and working overseas. But I still, to this day, really encourage young people, if you have the opportunity in your company, many of us don't, but if you have the opportunity, even if you're at the College of Charleston, do the study abroad, you know, take a year, um, learn about the world. I just think it, it, it was the five best years of my life, both personally and professionally. And they were really... Um, Really exciting times, and I really enjoyed um, my time there. It really is incredible. You know, being on the board of the college, we talk so much about uh, getting our students to go abroad. And uh, I just learned the other day, my niece is uh, over at Baylor, and she is heading to Australia I uh, went to the University program. of Western. I, mean, I went to the University of Western Sydney in Sydney, Australia, what, what, in college. Yeah, and I just, you know, I'm with you. I, for yeah. young folks that are listening more, what a great hour. If you have that opportunity, yes. go. Don't even think twice about it. I'm, um, I'm already saving for my kids. I'm sending them somewhere. I don't know where, but it's, I'm. It's, it's not I, like later in life you can stop and take two months out of your your schedule when you have kids and family and businesses and say, "I'm going to take two months and go to Europe." So, right, great well, advice. It there. is great advice, and I'm glad that you, you know, on now, you know, that you've had your career still agree that that is something to do because I I wanted to travel in the name of education just because you know I, like most college kids I wanted to just go party and have fun and but I learned so much and it's nice to see that you still think that that is valuable yeah so I'm going to steal one of Leslie's questions if that's okay Leslie oh, um, she asked the tough ones and so I want to act tough today um, <laughs> think back you know and I, we, we've kind of gone through progression on your career but you know maybe towards the middle 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 later if you look back from that point to the early days um obviously you did a lot well you're very talented but if you said hey maybe there's an area too that i made a mistake on or i wish i could have a redo on um what would be that that monday morning quarterback opportunity for you yeah um 
I've had more than a few. I, 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 you know, and I used to say to people when I was mentoring young women and men at DuPont is like, if you aren't making mistakes, you just aren't trying hard enough. You know, you really have to push yourself. But probably one of the biggest for me was um, a team that I was leading at the time. We failed to make our objective for profit that year. Um, and it was a big disappointment and it was a big miss. And um, but despite the miss, I was getting a promotion to move to Richmond, Virginia to lead a different business. And I took the opportunity to ask everyone who worked for me. There were about 10 men, all of the men who worked for me, um, the head of research, the head of manufacturing, the head of sales, you know, the head of HR, all these guys. And I said, I'm going to Richmond, which might as well be a thousand miles away. You're never going to see me again because I'm going to a completely different business. I was going to run the Kevlar business. And I was leaving plastics. And so I said, if you really care about me as a leader, I'm going to ask you to write me a personal letter telling me what I could do better to be a better leader. I said, skip all the, you're wonderful, we love you. Go right to what is that feedback that you would want me to know, knowing full well you may never see me again. Right. And so I kind of liberated them. Carte blanche. You know, here exactly. You go. I kind of liberated <laughs> them. And what I got back was so much richer then those 360-degree feedback things you get where you check the boxes, I got back some wonderful pieces of advice. But the most impactful was the head of research, a guy named Steve Mestemacher, told me that we'd missed our goal that year because of me, because I had failed to hold each and every one of them accountable for critical milestones that needed to be delivered. And he was right. I did, because... I felt that they were grown-ups and they were the top of their field and I'd hand-selected them for the team and I didn't want to hound them or mother them or be around nitpicking them and micromanaging them. But things slid and I should have been in their faces asking, what help do you need? How can I help you deliver this? And instead, I just assumed they would figure it out. And I never missed my profit objective ever again. I took to my new job that sense of accountability and what does a leader really need to do to make sure every member of the team is performing at their highest level. And, you know, we, we like to say trust, but verify, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not that I don't trust you, but as the leader, I have an obligation to verify that we are all delivering our part to make the profit goal this year. And how long into your management career did that opportunity come about for you? That was about in the middle. Okay. You know? and it was a turning point because I do think without it, I would never have been um, the leader that I became. And, you know, one of my favorite themes is that, you know, leadership is a craft like woodworking. My husband's a woodworker. You know, it gets better every year. Um, like acting. Um, I, one of my favorite actresses is Meryl Streep. We happen to share a birthday, June 22nd, for those of you who want to send me a card. <laughs> <laughs> but when I look at her craft, she continues to get better and better. Leadership is the same way. It is not static. You do not wake up tomorrow and be a better leader. You have to work at it. And in order to work at it, you have to figure out what you're working on. Are you working on being a better listener? Are you working on delegating better? Are you working on picking better people for your team, hiring smarter? But leadership requires us to constantly be improving our craft. And it won't surprise you, I'm, I give myself a performance review every Saturday. Well, not today because I'm with you. <laughs> but normally, you're doing great. In case no, you're yeah, you're doing exactly. Great. It's a Saturday thing. I walk my two Bernie's Mountain Dogs on the beach, and I reflect on the week. You know, where did I? Where was I a great leader, and where were there opportunities that I could improve? And by doing that over the last 35 years, I think I'm a much better leader today than I was 20 years ago when I made some of my bigger mistakes. 
Well, gosh, I think that we're we're kind of sort of wrapping things up here, um, and I can't wait to get into next week. But I've got a quick question for you. This is people you know, stories you don't, and I like to ask this kind of a fun question, um, so people get to know you a little better. Is there any habit or quirk or hobby or talent that you have that not many people know about you? What is something that maybe the people that you surround yourself with on a daily basis mm. don't know? Wait, it's a toughie. Yes. One that most people do know that I'm quite proud of and we'll oh, talk yes. more about is I have had two holes in one. Wow. <laughs> in golf. Yes, I am. I love golf. Golf is one of my passions. And, um, you know, I, I think I keep thinking the third one is just right around the corner. Sure. Yes. <laughs> that's something now. to be proud Any of. Day now. Yes. Y'all making me feel bad. I've never come close to a hole in one in golf. So. <laughs> um, real quick, as we're winding down, um, just give us some perspective. And we'll talk a lot more about transition next week and, and sort of that latter half of your professional life. But Charleston. Uh, how did you end up Charleston? Why Charleston? And what's Charleston mean to you? Oh, gosh, that's such a great question. Um, we started vacationing here, I'm going to say, 14, 15 years ago. Um, my husband and I came on our first vacation here and immediately fell in love with it and ended up buying a place out on Kiowa. Um, and as much as I love Kiowa, I also love Charleston. I love coming in for the food and the shops and the history. Um, and when I retired three and a half years ago, it was an easy decision for us to say that this would be home. And so it's been now four years, and I, I, I'm proud to consider myself a South Carolinian and um, you know, a part of the local culture and scene, and I'm really just delighted to be part of Charleston. Love it. Well, we're delighted to have you on our show this morning. Thank you, uh, Diane, for sharing, again, your wisdom and your knowledge. We're looking forward, if you're so grateful, to come back next week and do this again. Again, Diane Goyas, who is the former president, one of the largest divisions of DuPont, uh, as well as you'll hear next week about her time as uh, being on the board for the LPGA. Uh, happy uh, St. Paddy's Day to you. And uh, for our Low Country listeners, thanks again for tuning the dial this morning to 94.3 to listen to another edition of Beyond the Business. Anything else, Leslie? All right. Make sure and follow us on our Facebook page and also on Twitter, BTBCHS. And until next week, Low Country, have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Tune in next Saturday morning at 7.30 for Beyond the Business, hosted by Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood, and heard exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC.